welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. As we've been, you know, I want to carry on this morning from the series that Andrew's been doing about prosperity and, and how we prosper in life and what does that look like? You know, and I know it's one of those words and, and Andrew's explained a bit about our journey of when people don't understand it, when people um, distort it in the church, then it becomes this name it and claim it, you know, health and wealth thing that um, we were told was dangerous a, a lot of years ago and that we had to be, um, be careful of. And it's got bad press. And yet, when you think of it, it's about the heart of a father who wants to bless his children. Like, how can that be something that's wrong? You know, how many of us would ever want to give our kids anything but the very best? How many of us would ever say to our kids, you know, oh, just don't think about too much about yourself. Don't get too big an idea of yourself. How much do we want to just love on them, lavish our love on them, you know, do our very best for them in every area of, of our lives and their lives? You know, but unfortunately, we know that the world's turned kind of this thing of prosperity into materialism, okay? And it's all about how successful, you know, how much stuff you have, how much money you have, how much fame you have. That um, sort of defines how successful you are. And I realized recently the, the impact of um, our state night Spotify playlist was having on our kids. Because as you know, Andrew and I, on a Saturday night, we like to have this what called state night, which is just like kids you're doing your own thing. We're just having a bit of time to ourselves, but it never actually works like that because they come in and eat everything and whatever. But Andrew has is this list on Spotify, which he calls State Night, and it's got all the 80s favorites. So we've got Whitney Houston, we've got Michael Jackson. They're, they're just, they're all there, okay? But what we've realized recently is all our kids say, um, oh, Whitney, oh, she died, didn't she? Was that an overdose or something? This was Hope recently. And then she went, Michael Jackson, oh, did he die as well? Or was that? And then Hope said the other day, why did all those people do that, mommy? Like, because they had everything. Like, they were so famous and they had all of this stuff, you know, and you know, they had everything that they could want. And yet, their lives, there was something wrong because, you know, <laughs> they're obviously... And it just made me think, well, one, we need to change the Spotify playlist because it's getting a bit depressing now. It's like Queen came on, Freddie Mercury, is he still alive yet? No, sorry. <laughs> it's just like, this is just really depressing on a Saturday night. But... um. But it made me think, you know, there's our kids going, wow, this, what are, you know, what, all these things that we look up to, all these things that we think, oh, if only I could be like this. And yet, actually, it shows that all the stuff in the world isn't going to satisfy in your heart. And so, you know, God wants us to have prosperous lives, but we know it's not the materialism, the world's version of it. So, so what is it? Like Andrew's been saying, it's about every part of our life. It's about your family, your work, your health, your relationships, your future. It's everything. And it's even more than this because I think all those outside things, actually that's just the fruit of the inward condition in your heart, isn't it? Because when we start to see in our families, you know, prospering, when we start to see our marriages prospering, when we start to see our work prospering, our relationships, our futures, it's actually because of a work that God's done on the inside, it's not, and, we, and over time, we start to see that having a difference on the outside. So it's that internal inward posture. And that's where God, like Adam was saying before, those buildings, because let's face it, God, I mean, Jesus told us there's going to be trouble in this world, you know, but he's overcome the world. But there isn't going to be trouble. We can't expect to go through life without difficulties. But it's in the midst of those things that remember when Andrew was saying in Genesis 39 too, when he said the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man. 
And it was, that was at the time when he was standing, stripped, naked, being sold as a slave, and yet God was with him. He was prosperous. And it wasn't because of what he had, because materially he had nothing. He was nothing in everybody's eyes. He was the lowest of the low. But it was who he had. It was the relationship that he had. It was the fact of who he belonged to. And I was thinking about how, you know, basically we come into this world and we don't have anything, do we? We come in as babies and there's nothing. We are totally dependent on our parents. And when we leave this world, there's nothing either, is it? Is there? It's just everything's gone. All we have in life is Jesus. And he is all we need and he is everything that we need. And I was just thinking about, you know, Yes, material stuff, yes, okay, if we have finances, then at times it gives us more choices, we can make more decisions. But for most people, I think it's that feeling of security, isn't it? Deep down, when we think about why, why do we want to, you know, in the world, why are people chasing after um, materialism? It's because of that need to feel secure. And yet, you know, that's the Lord wants our eyes to be firmly fixed on Him because everything in the world is temporal. Everything is you know, volatile, everything can fade away in an instant, can't it? There's nothing that we can put our trust in outside of the Lord. So true prosperity is this coming from the inside out. It's when you wake up every morning, no matter what, going, Jesus, you are my savior. That means you're my rescuer. That means you're my deliverer. You haven't just set me free at the cross from sin and death. Actually, you've set me free now to have a life with all of its fullness. So what does that look like? What is it going to look like to live a life in the fullness of God? And I was thinking so much that, you know, for us to really experience that, we need to have this greater greater revelation of a generous God, okay? Because the the more we can expand our minds into who God really is and who we are as his children, then the more we're going to walk every day just knowing that prosperity within our souls, Okay, and the more we're going to see it start to affect our lives. And so I was thinking, you know, for me, we need to change the way, and I say this to myself all the time, I've got to keep changing the way I think about the kingdom that I'm living in. And, you know, I was thinking recently about how Andrew talked about the Queen. You know, obviously, it's not that long ago, is it, that the Queen passed away. And how smooth that transition is. Remember when Andrew talked about that, how smooth it was when it passed from one monarch to the next? And yet there can be countries around the world where that would send the whole country into chaos when a monarch, you know, dies because there could be a power struggle. And yet we saw it just all move really, really smoothly. But if you think back, if you think of all of the interviews there was around that time and all the people who started to talk about what life was like when they got to meet the Queen, and there was, it was beautiful, like so many people talking about you know, when they actually personally got to meet her, when they had an audience with her. And, it, you know, there were people who just live in their normal lives and then got these invitations maybe to go to the palace and they get brought into her presence. And that, that being in her presence had an impact on them, maybe an impact that went on for the rest of their lives, you know, that they actually got to meet her. They actually got to see what she was really like, what she was truly like. They were in the presence of the queen. And I thought, wow, you know, we are invited on a daily basis to be in the presence of the king. Isn't that incredible? If we want to know what our kingdom looks like, if we want to know what life in this world should look like, 
then we need to be in the presence of the king because it's about his kingdom and we are subjects of his kingdom. If you want to know what it's like to live in a country, then the people who rule over that country are going to be the ones who impact it, who say what it's going to be like. And if you, the more you know them, the more that you'll understand their heart. Every day, we're invited to be in the presence of the Lord. And on Wednesday night, we had the Bible study here, and we were looking at the effects of praise and worship. And we were talking about being in the presence of God. And um, Maureen was talking about, you know, in the Old Testament where you had the tabernacle, and there was the outer courts, and there was the inner courts, and then there was the Holy of Holies. And I thought, wow, isn't it amazing today? We don't have to go all through those rituals. We are invited to go into the Holy of Holies. We're invited to come boldly. And I love those verses in Hebrews where it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because can any of you imagine, imagine like going into the Queen boldly, you know, like in you go, it's time for you to go into Queen Elizabeth. And imagine like strolling right and saying, oh, Elizabeth, Lizzie, it's great to see you. How are you doing? You know, I'm just coming with all, do you know what's been worrying me this week? I just, I've got to tell you all about this. And like, we just wouldn't do that. Would we imagine any of you invited to see King Charles next week? You know, we would all be, oh my goodness, like what would I say? You don't want to mess it up. You don't want to get it wrong. There's so much etiquette protocol around what you do and how you behave. And yet the king of the universe, the king of all kings invites every single one of us every day to come boldly, boldly before his throne of grace. He doesn't say come boldly when you're behaving right. He doesn't say come boldly when you've been praying. He doesn't say come boldly when you've been reading your Bibles. He doesn't say come boldly when you haven't annoyed your kids or, you know, nagged at your husband. He says, come boldly. Come as you are to my throne of grace. Just that throne that is just pouring out love, pouring out acceptance, pouring out forgiveness. But how many of us come to him with that? How many, I just know that my mind needs to be expanded to that fact that he is welcoming me, that he is excited about me being there, that he's not going, oh, here she comes. Oh, what is it today? Oh, flip me. Here we go again. Or like, seriously, Penny, we've tried to work on this one. Or, you know, he's just delighted, delighted because you're his children and he wants you to come boldly. He wants you to come expectant. He wants you to come willing and, and excited to receive from him. Not thinking he's holding back, but really just coming with open arms. I mean, how, many, how would you feel if your kids came to you really not expecting to get a hug or not expecting to receive from you because, you know, well, maybe you're just not in the form for me today. Maybe you just can't be bothered with me. You'd feel awful, wouldn't you, if you thought your kids just, you know, were always trying to check in. Does, does mom or dad really want to be, take time with us today or can they really be bothered? And yet, God, how much sometimes do we think that? Do we put up barriers? Do we think because something we've done is preventing him from pouring out his love? You know, on Wednesday night, we were talking about how we can experience the presence of God because sometimes we think it's, it's just that little holy place that we can get to. You know, it's that moment on a Sunday morning or it's that time if we've really, really pressed in in a quiet time, you know, we've gone that extra 10 minutes or whatever it is. We've spent that two hours in that morning. But yet we were talking on Wednesday night about the presence of God is in everything. It's in worship, it's in praise, it's in Bible reading, it's in service, it's in giving someone a cup of water, it's in doing our jobs every day, it's in fellowship, it's when we take communion, it's when we give. It's basically everything we do in life, we can experience the presence of God. That's the way he's created us, to constantly commune with him, to know him, just to, to know his peace, to know his joy, to be prospering on the inside. I love those verses in Romans 
12 too, because it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I know I never used to particularly understand Romans. Like, I know when I first became a Christian, I'm a bit of a doer. Okay, so I like, as you know, like lists and getting things done and ticking things off and whatever. So the first part of Romans felt like a, kind of quite a lot of waffly stuff. And then I was like, oh, all right, kept past Romans 12. And it's like tells you lots of things that you should do. And so this verse probably felt like a bit of like, right, this is what I have to do. God, I've got to offer my body. But it's because it says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, it's like unless you can understand the whole of Romans 1 to 11, where you know, Paul is saying everything that God's done for you, his grace towards you, his love for you, the fact that you're righteous now in Christ, in view of all of this, that you're a new creation, now you can offer your body as a sacrifice because I have given you everything. There is nothing that I will hold back from you. And that incredible thing is when we actually pour out ourselves, when we sacrifice everything, when we just go, God, all of this, everything in my life is for you. It's for your glory Actually, that's when we receive. It's as we give ourselves away that we start to really feel and experience that prosperity on the inside. Because it's impacting every part of our life. You know, God doesn't want you just to prosper in your finances, but then to be struggling in another area or prospering in your relationships, but be panicking about having food on the table every day. He wants every part of your life to be prospered. And the, 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 the reality is, just the more that we can understand this generous God that we have, who wants to go above and beyond anything we can ask, hope, or imagine, then the more we will come and receive from him, the more we will run boldly to that throne of grace. And this week I was reading um, a couple of passages that really spoke to me, and one was in Luke um, chapter 7, and it's the story of we call it the story of the sinful woman or um, when um, the woman anoints Jesus' feet with oil. And I've read it lots of times and sort of interpreted it a certain way. But I was reading this um, story about it, a book about the, like the Jewishness of the Bible and, and understanding the context and the, the culture of that day. So I just want to read a little bit to you. And for me, it really impacted just the, just the, the love that the lady had received and how much she had really grasped the grace that was being poured out on her. So let's just read this together. It's in Luke um, 7, I think it's verses 36 to 38. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, any times I've heard this story before, it's been, you know, the the woman was just so grateful for what God had done, what Jesus had done, the fact that she was forgiven, that that's why she was weeping. And it was just like, just tears of gratitude and and love and when I was reading this book it talked actually about how guests would have been entertained at that time so what the cultures were of the in that day and how the way that Jesus was treated by the Pharisees that day was actually scandalous 
It wasn't just rude or ill-mannered. It was like absolutely shocking the way he was treated. And everybody in that room would have known that, would have known the disrespect and the dishonor that was being shown to Jesus. And, you know, it was things like whenever you arrived at, at a home, the guest would have greeted you with a kiss. I mean, that would be like when somebody comes to the door and you welcome them and say, great to see you, come on in. Look, it's brilliant to see you. Come and sit down, take your coat. You know, can I get you a cup of tea or something? You know, we, we wouldn't expect just somebody to be knocking at the door and then actually have to, like, let themselves in and say, I am, um, did, did you ask me over? I'm just wondering. Or, you know, like, sort of knock on the window. Hello, can I come in? But that was almost as rude as they'd been. That not greeting with a kiss was such a mark of disrespect. Just like, you're not important to me. I don't need to give you any attention. And then the fact that Jesus' feet, that they, they didn't wash his feet. We all know like in those days, wearing sandals, it was dusty, it was dirty, that was pretty grim, what could have been on your feet. Um, so it was just a basic custom. It wasn't like you would do that to special people. It was just based, basic hospitality that you would give water and olive oil that it would have been brought to have your feet washed. So the fact that none of that was done for Jesus, again, was showing that you're not, you have no value to me. You're not important. I'm not going out of my way for you. It was really scandalous. It was so, just such a horrendous, such a form of insult. And everybody would have known that. So this lady who heard about Jesus, she'd come with the anointing oil. Okay, so she wanted to anoint him. But had she intended to wash his feet? Did she come with like a basin and a, a towel or anything? She hadn't, had she? She hadn't got any of those things. So she wasn't intending to wash his feet. And yet what happens when she sees how Jesus is treated? When she sees this person who she has realized is saying that actually you're not on the outside anymore. You're not excluded in life anymore. You know, it doesn't matter what other people are saying about you because actually I value you. I consider you worthy. I consider you precious. I consider you important. She'd heard this message of love and forgiveness. And then she sees this man who is from God, who is God. This man who's sitting with these people who say they know God. And yet they can't even give him any honor. They actually, they're not even showing him basic respect. And how, what, what's her response to this? She's crying. She's crying because she is so grieved by the way that he has been treated. And so she, she sees that he's got dirty feet. And so what does she do with these tears that are just flowing from her? That's all she has. She knows that she's, you know, could she ask for a basin of water? Sure, she's, she's a woman. She's a woman who's of ill repute. What are the Pharisees? Are they going to take her under a notice? Would they, let, would they even offer, give her water to wash his feet? But she sees how badly he's been treated. So the tears are flowing from her. And she's washing the feet with her tears. And she's no towel to wipe them with. And she uncovers her hair. Now, you realize in those traditions at that time, to have your hair covered was like the, what, the, what the ladies would have done. So to uncover your hair was actually, again, going against the norm. It was, it was actually almost seen as being promiscuous. And this lady was already known as being promiscuous. So she was just inviting herself and opening herself up for even more hostility from these people who already thought she shouldn't have been there. And yet she takes that risk and she washes the feet with those tears and wipes them with her hair. And then she pours what she had. Like Jesus was reclining at the... At the so she, she just takes that oil 
She can't put it on his head because she's behind him. He's sitting, so she pours it onto his feet. And everybody else is just looking, thinking, what a waste. Oh my goodness, he's letting this woman touch her. You know, and they're almost repulsed by it. And yet Jesus sees this act as one of the most beautiful things and says throughout eternity, this will be spoken about. Now, if you think about prosperity, who's prospering in that moment? Are the Pharisees prospering? They've got the material stuff. They've got the reputation. They've got the standing in the community. And yet, who has Jesus' attention? The woman. The woman who had nothing, what it would seem like, nothing to give, of no importance and value. And yet, Jesus sees that she's doing the most beautiful act of worship. And he sees her as beautiful. And he looks at what she does. And he looks past all of the tensions in the room. And he takes a situation which could have just been like, you know, what am I doing here? These people just don't, don't have any time for me. And yet out of what, he, what she does, he shows what is beautiful, what is precious, what is important. And she's remembered forever for that. He says to a woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And he gives her peace in her heart that day. Because she put her trust totally in Jesus. And I was thinking how vulnerable she was at that time. You know, and she just, she could have maybe, imagine if she'd taken a, a bit of time and thought about, is this the right thing to do or not? And I was thinking about it for myself, how many times maybe do I feel that God's prompted me to do something? And then you overthink it. Did you really say that, God? Do you think that would bless them really? Or actually, will they take that the wrong way? Or, you know, is that really you saying that? And sometimes we talk ourselves out, don't we? Of in those moments, responding, doing what God's telling us to do. But she didn't spend three days pondering or ask her friends, friends to pray about it or put out a fleece to check if she got it right. Do you know what? She just went with what she felt prompted to do because she knew that this was a, this was a moment of love and grace. She was in the presence of someone. She was in the presence of her king. She felt no judgment, no condemnation, no conditions. She just felt love. And she reached out. She took hold of it. She received it. She was bold. And she received. She prospered. And I was thinking about Paul's prayer in Ephesians. You know, when he talks about how to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's in Ephesians 3, 19 that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. That is prosperity, being filled with God. And when we're filled with God, then life is going to change because the way we see life is going to change. The way we experience situations is going to change because we've got God's presence with us, leading us and guiding us. And I was thinking about, you know, why is it we struggle to just have this view of God, of this generous love in God, why is it when we're, we're sort of confronted with lack, do we struggle just to keep our minds in that place of God and his goodness? And I was thinking about how God doesn't give in half measures. You know, he, he, he never kind of just gives a little bit or just gives enough. He always wants to show that he is more than enough. He's above and beyond. And if you think about it, like, I don't know if any of you guys are kind of nerdy into facts and things. I know um, I'm just thinking about Archie and he loves all this facts about um, what is it, whales and anything that swims. And, you know, I was looking at um, 
online, you know, just if you Google things, because our, our kids are always going, you know, when they ask you questions and you just go, how am I supposed to know that? Like, I am not super mum. Like, how many breeds of trees are the mum? How many types of plants are the mum? How many, I mean, I think they actually think you're like Alexa. You know, so, do you know what I mean? And luckily now you can say, just ask Alexa or just ask Google. Like, how it really, you know, when you're having breakfast and they ask you all these, you're like, seriously, can we just, just eat your toast? Get your, <laughs> brush your hair, get your teeth done. No, but mum, we have any of this. So we, were having, so we were having this discussion recently in our house. So apparently there are 73,000 types of trees there are 320,000 species of plants. Do you ever think, like, who counts them? Like, seriously? Or is somebody just there going, right, that sounds like a good number? Because, like, I don't know how they come up with these. 30,000 types of fish. This, this one tickled me. One million species of insects. I have to say, in terms of the amount of insects there are this morning, there was, there's one less, thanks to Mark Donnelly. <laughs> as, we were, as we were pulling up the shutter this morning to get into church, a humongous spider fell down, didn't it, Mark? Now, in fairness to Mark, he did say that that was massive. So he, he had the whole um, jump, because I was just like, Mark, you need to deal with that. I was ready just to run home. So he said, uh, do you want me to kill it, or are you expecting me to pick it up? <laughs> I was like, whatever you need to do, it just needs to be gone. So I think it's, it's made a quick journey to heaven this morning. Um, we won't tell Bella. <laughs> but it, but it just when you start to think about creation, okay, I'm trying to get you to expand your minds to how lavish God is, how big he is. He doesn't do anything by halves. He doesn't do just a little bit of something. Everything is over and above and beyond anything that we can even imagine. And why does he do that? He's trying to show us how great he is, how vast he is. Have you ever thought, why, does he, why is the world the way it is? Why did he create all of these things? It's because he can. It's because he's amazing. It's because our minds can't even like contemplate it. But yet it stretches us when we start to think about these things. It makes us go, oh, God, you are so incredible. And that's what he that power that he has to create and to make the world, he's put his power within us to change the worlds around us. And I love the verse in Ephesians 3.20, because it says now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. That's what he wants to do. He wants us to have lives that prosper, that go above and beyond what we can ask, hope, or imagine. And so if we can view God in this way, then we're going to view our circumstances differently. We're going to expand our views into who he really is. We're going to worship him for who he is. We're going to trust him. Because let's face it, we're all going to worship something in life, aren't we? All of us. But we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. We want to magnify him, lift up his name, give him the glory. Because every day you're going to get a message. You're going to get messages that there's not enough. You know, I had my parents over and... Uh, their mum's funny. <laughs> Every time she arrives, we get the trip back from the airport. And she's always telling me, oh, it's shocking, isn't it? So I don't know what the country's coming to. It's, oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. My mum, stop watching the news. I'd say this if she's here. Just stop watching the news. But she watches it like nine o'clock, six o'clock, ten o'clock. And you know, if you continually listening to all that stuff, that's, it just gets into your heart. And then all you can see is, we're doomed, we're doomed. But actually, we've got to surround ourselves with messages of God and his goodness and his kindness and his generosity and his love. And, you know, I just thought too many times we can, fall, we can hear all of this stuff, like interest rates gone up again, 
gas prices, you know, all of the stuff at the minute that's going on out there. And we can just feel helpless at times, can't we? Or we can feel powerless. And I was thinking about how it's almost like we fall into that slave mentality. Remember like the children of Israel? And I was thinking about that story this week about how the children of Israel end up in slavery in the first place. And if you think, you know, they were a prospered people. Israel had become so, um, so prosperous in the land of Egypt. And you just think of how their journey was always like this, wasn't it? Joseph had nothing. He was in Egypt. And then God raises him up and he's brought into Potiphar's house, and then he's raised up again, and he's brought into Pharaoh's palace. And he, and he becomes this, has this amazing position of influence, and his family become prospered, and then the generations become prospered, and they increase, and they multiply, and they become great, and then the Egyptians panic, and they, they want to hold them down. And I felt like today, you know, sometimes things can come against you, and sometimes things can come against you because the enemy can see what God has and what God's put into your life. And he's afraid and he tries to come against it. But actually, no matter how much he tries to push you down, the Lord will always raise you up. we just got to keep our eyes fixed on him. And look what happened to the Israelites. They were made slaves. They had to work to receive. There was demands put on them. The conditions became harder. They were asked to produce more with less. And sometimes we might feel like that, that there's demand, that we're having to try harder, that the goalposts are changing. And it can be demand in so many different ways. It could be your finances. It could be that you feel like there's not enough time. There's not enough people around you to help you. You don't have enough energy. You don't feel like you're well enough to do things. You don't feel like you're good enough. And it could just go on and on and on. This feeling of there's just not enough of whatever it might be. But that's what God had to take them out of. Because when they were in that, that place, when they were in Egypt, they couldn't see a way out. They didn't know there was any different kind of life as the generations went on and you were born as a slave and you just grew up as a slave and that's just the way life was. You couldn't think about being different. So I was thinking about how God raised up Moses and how he took a Hebrew boy and he had to go and put him in Pharaoh's palace because he had to give him a different view. He had to show him that you don't have to work for everything, that you don't have to strive Actually, you're just the son of the king here. Everything's given to you. Everything's handed to you. You just receive. It's just about who you are, not about what you do. And Moses had to see the world differently because if he'd grown up as a slave, how could he ever believe in a life outside of being a slave? And yet God had to take him to the wilderness too, didn't he? So that he didn't just depend on his strength. Just think, I am the lad, I can do it. He had to learn to be dependent on his father in heaven. You know, and for lots of people, I've seen different people maybe come and go through church because sometimes people hear about the goodness of God and they see this freedom available and they see there's a different way to live. But sometimes it just doesn't come in their time scale, the way that they thought it should come on their time frame. Sometimes there's disappointments. And then what happens? Do people give up? Do people think it doesn't really work? Like Adam said this morning, you can't lie. God, you can't lie to me. And you know what? God wants to bless you, but he wants to teach you how to steward the blessing that he wants to pour into your life. Because if we get the blessing and we, we prosper, but we don't know how to steward what God's doing in us, it's actually going to destroy us. And that's in every area. 
That's in, you know, if it's about leadership or ministry, if it's about finances, if it's about family, any of those things, if those things, that sometimes the things that we really want to see happen, sometimes if they were to come on our time scale, we wouldn't be ready for them. And it would actually not be good for us. So God's plans are to prosper us and not to harm us. He wants us to in, inherit the blessing, but he wants to make sure we've got the character in place so we can experience it and we'll truly prosper. So the last thing I was thinking was God wants to break off these mindsets that are holding us back. Remember the slaves in Egypt? They were taken out of Egypt, but it took a long time to get Egypt out of them. It's not right. They had to come out. God brought them out. He delivered them. But yet for years, they kept having that same mindset, that same scarcity, that same lack mentality. And they were on a journey, and they had to grow in different stages because God was about the long haul. And I was thinking that for people today. You know what? In terms of your life, God's in it for the long haul. He's not looking for the quick fix. He has seen what you need now, but he's also seen what you need in five years, what you need in 10 years. He's seen the generations. He's going way before you. And so often we just want the quick, quickly things fixed, like next month, next year, God's going, look where I'm bringing you. And sometimes it's really good for us to st- take a step back, isn't it, and go, look, flip, how far have I come, God? How far have I come? I might not be where I want to be just yet, but God, you've brought me a long way already. You have done so much for me already. And there's another thing I felt the Lord was saying, like, he doesn't patch us up. He restores us. You know when you think about artworks when they're restored? And they're made beautiful again. You know, it's not that you can, you know, you don't go and look at them and think, oh, flip, they didn't do a very good job of that, did they? (laughs) Gosh, made a bit of a mess of that. You wouldn't know the difference, would you? Because it's perfected. In fact, sometimes they look even better than they did before. And that's what God is doing in us. He's perfecting us. We are perfect in our spirit, but he's perfecting us in our souls. So if you think about the journey that the children of Israel went on, it was manna every day. Every day, getting bread from heaven. Every day, having to have the faith to receive. Every day, God was saying, I'm sustaining you. I'm providing for you. I'm protecting you. He was the pillar of fire and the the pillar of cloud. He was leading the way. He was guiding them. He was strengthening them. He was giving them direction. He was teaching them to trust him every day. They had to learn to obey his voice. They had to learn about the supernatural provision of, you know, don't collect it on the Sabbath. There's going to be enough for you. Don't collect too much You know, they had to trust him every day. And they had to learn when things went wrong to listen to his voice. And do you know what? They did that the same day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year in, year out. It was a long process, wasn't it? But the Lord led them. And I think for us, it's about being patient on this journey, that God is prospering us, that God is doing the work in us, that God is getting us where we need to be, but he knows exactly all the steps that he needs to walk us through. He knows how we can, you know, adapt and change, but he knows the time scale, the right time scale that's not going to wear us out. And so just wanted to finish by talking about the verses where it says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The other Sunday night I talked about this because, you know, my sister-in-law is an expert in neuroscience, and she's always telling me things about habits and our thinking and our thought patterns, and I think it's incredible because it's just reaffirming everything to do with, with God's Word and, and how He's created us. And actually, you know, in terms of our thinking, we develop habits. 
So just like we develop habits of, of what we do every day in terms of the way we think, we develop habits too. And then our thought patterns create these neural pathways, and it's kind of so that we don't have to overthink everything. You know, like, you wouldn't need to think, like, how do I clean my teeth this morning? Flip, what am I supposed to do? How do I? We do loads of things on autopilot, don't we? Because, Flip, if you had to think about everything every day, you'd be exhausted. So there's so much that we've learned to do, and we just do it. But that happens with our thinking as well. There's so much that we've learned to think about in a certain way that we just then click into that mode of thinking. So for the Israelites, they thought for years and years they were just slaves, they were victims, things were never going to change. They had to get out of that way of thinking, to believing in a good God who loved them, who would provide for them, who would protect them, who would care for them, who would deliver them. And for us too, we've got to get out of those thinking. You know, when situations come and we go back to that, oh, here we go again, oh, I think it's going to work out this way, or what was it like last time? We have got to catch ourselves on, haven't we? We've got to take those thoughts, literally take those thoughts captive and go, I am going to think differently about this in the future. This might have been the way it looked last time, but I'm choosing not to believe it this time. And I love the fact that we can create those new pictures. You know the verses where he tells us to call those things forth as though they're not as though they are. That, that is why God has given us these incredible imaginations, because we create new memories for ourselves, new memories that say, actually, it might have been like that last time, but it's not going to be like that next time because this is the new thing that I'm believing for. This is the new thing that I'm looking for. This is what I'm believing about what God says over my life. But I think, you know, in all of those things, and it's incredible, you know, any of you are interested in the stuff about neuroscience, it is incredible about how it just helps us to understand what God has made, how, how God has made our, our brains to work and how we can work with him to shape our futures to look different. But the last thing I was thinking was, actually, it's all back to the presence of God. Because when we're with him, when we come boldly to him every day, when we trust him, when we know that he's our source, that he's everything that we need, that even if everything outside is going crazy, even like when Adam says you're in that building and it feels like it might topple down. We had that experience last year in the caravan, let me tell you, where I was thinking, Andrew, are you sure you secured this thing in Tollymore in the summer when it's like 100 mile an hour grails outside? And I'm like, how do you know the caravan's not going to fall over? <laughs> well, we'll find out in the morning. Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> you know, um, but we, we've all had those times, haven't we? Where we feel like everything is coming in against us. Oh, God, am I really going to be able to stand and yet God says, no matter what, I am who I say I am. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are prosperous because you have me. It's not about the stuff that you have. It's not about who you have. It's about the fact that I am with you and you belong to me. And I want to leave you with these verses from Philippians. Because I think if we have this as our goal in life, and if we go, God, this is what true prosperity looks like, that no matter what, it's about knowing you. And actually, the more I can rest in that, the more everything else is going to get taken care of anyway. Then I think that's a good place to be. So let's read this in Philippians 4.12. And just take time, I think, this week just to meditate on this because this is the truth. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. And I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing life, whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need. Isn't that the truth of it? It's actually, if I've got you, Jesus, I've got everything. If you're at the center, 
then actually whatever is going on out there, you're going to hold me. You're going to keep me. You're going to deliver me. You're going to prosper me. You're going to lift me up again, just like the children of Israel on that journey of ups and downs. I will stand strong. And eventually, I'm running into your arms anyway. It's a win-win. Amen. So I hope that encourages you this week. Know that God is prospering you. He's a generous God. He's pouring out love and favor and blessing on you every day. But the more you're going to receive that is when you just come into his presence, coming into his throne room of grace and just allowing him to prosper you from that inside out. That then no matter what is coming your way, you're speaking life, you're speaking love, you're speaking joy, you're speaking promise, and you're speaking hope. Amen. Amen. Amen.